everyone. Uh, reading today is from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16, and that's page 1175 on the Bibles uh, in the pew in front of you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks, Mitch, and uh, good morning, everyone. Hope you're uh, in good spirits. Uh, Gareth has already prayed, so as uh, you keep your Bibles open at Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just get straight underway, I think. And I, um, I've heard it said that youth is wasted on the young. Have you heard that? But I really reckon that being a baby is wasted on babies. Because don't you think babies have got the best lives? I do. All they have to worry about is eating and sleeping. And in fact, they can do that whenever they want. Even if it puts out everyone else in the family, they've got it made. Eat, sleep. When they make a mess, somebody else has to clean it up. If they want to sleep all day and play all night, they kind of get away with it because they're so darn cute. And the best part is, and I really think this is the best part, they get to nestle in with somebody whose whole maternal instinct is geared towards meeting their every need. Don't you think babies have got the best lives? Don't you wish you were one? You don't, do you? You don't. Of course not. We we look at them and we just adore the fragility of babies and we might even covet the simplicity of their lives, but none of us seriously wish we went back to being babies, do we? Now, why is that? I think it is because we recognize that as human beings, we actually need to grow, we need to develop, we need to mature. We're meant to grow up, aren't we? In fact, one of the ways we might criticise an adult is by calling them childish, immature. You're a big 
baby. I remember teaching a scripture class uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, They were the gifted and talented class at the school, and boy, did they know it. And uh, one day I was very frustrated at their behavior, and I just exclaimed, can you stop acting like a bunch of little kids? When, of course, one of them fired back, but we are just a bunch of little kids, which was true enough. And uh, watch out for him, he's bound to be prime minister one day. But imagine if I said the same thing to a group of adults. Would you just stop acting like a bunch of little kids? There's a real sting there, isn't there? Uh, It's a rebuke. It's a criticism. It's not a compliment. Nobody wants to be labelled immature, a big baby. And if that's true in the rest of life, then it's surely true in our spiritual lives, in our Christian walk. So today we're going to work out how to avoid spiritual immaturity, how to grow uh, toward, from spiritual infancy, and really how to grow up. And you'd have guessed from our series title, Better Together, that we grow better together. So firstly, we're going to see from Ephesians 4 that the gospel brings unity, and then we'll see that ministry builds maturity. Okay, Gospel brings unity, but it's ministry that builds maturity. So firstly, the gospel brings unity. And you can see that thought develop from the Apostle Paul, really in the first verse of Ephesians 4 there in front of you. He's in chains, most likely under house arrest in Rome. He's in prison for his testimony to Jesus and his witness to the gospel, which he's just spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians spelling out. He is obviously living a life worthy of his Christian calling, so he urges the Ephesians and also us to do exactly that, live a life worthy of our Christian calling. That is not going to require us to live under house arrest in Rome. But in fact, it's going to have a much more corporate, a together dimension to it. And so the Apostle Paul moves on from this new society which the gospel has created, in which Jews and Gentiles are being built together, to the new standards of behavior that's expected of that new society, that community. So read along, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The picture behind the idea of bearing with one another is really to hold yourself up straight and strong, like it's a picture of good posture. It means to hold yourself up with others who are down rather than merely just putting up with people who irritate you, people who bug you. Verse 3 continues this communal emphasis, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Has it ever struck you how prone and adept we are as human beings at looking for the things that divide us? Have you ever thought about that? Not just across the political divide. I mean, you, you just take something as ultimately meaningless as sport. I love sport, but nothing really hangs on which team wins. So, you know, we, we could just unite as being fans of sport. Sport's great. Who cares if you follow AFL or soccer or rugby or league? It's just good to get out on the paddock and have a go. But no, we can't do that. We've got to divide over the code that we follow. And we follow ours and all the others are rubbish. It's like picking a coffee shop in Manly, isn't it? But even with the code you follow, it's almost obligatory to hate the opposition. I can't stand those Queenslanders, bunch of inbreds, or those Western Sydney Wanderers. What a group of thugs. You know Manly fans? That's like our people. That's us. Famously take banners to their home games, which read, We are manly. We know you hate us, and we don't care. 
guess what? Manly hates you too. Fedigam, it is a game where a bunch of men chase an inflated pigskin around a paddock. Really not something to divide over, but we're just so adept at it as human beings. It comes so naturally to us that uh, we automatically drag it into the church as well. Well, the Apostle Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We don't have to agree on everything. Of course, there's room for difference and even debate. But don't you reckon we want to be more concerned to see our unity expressed? As long as we're not sacrificing fundamental Christian truth, more concerned to see our unity expressed than we are to win the argument, to have our point of view heard. I'm not saying there's no grounds ever for complaint, but, but don't you reckon there are just some pet peeves, some bees in our individual bonnets we could actually do with just letting go? We can be a proud and argumentative bunch, but the Apostle Paul urges us to be completely humble and patient, to make every effort to win the argument. Now he doesn't say that, does he? Every effort to keep the unity and the peace God has won for us. Now, I don't have uh, much faith in my natural capacity to be able to do that, even though I am instructed it's going to require my every effort, which is why it's so important that God fuels our Christian unity by his own unity of person and purpose. So read along with me in verse 4, if you would. From verse 4, there's one body, as in one community, Jews and Gentiles together, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, not separate saviors for different groups. One faith, one baptism, not separate channels of salvation for different people. And one God and Father of all. That verse is really saying our unity is not based upon, it's not sourced from our own abilities to put up with one another though it will require every effort to get over ourselves, but our unity is based chiefly upon the unity of God in himself and in his singular purpose of salvation. Friends, the gospel brings unity and we make every effort to keep it. Now this theme of unity in our passage today is uh, intimately connected to the idea of maturity which is, is really the main theme we're looking at today. So the gospel brings unity, but secondly, it's ministry that builds maturity. If we're going to grow better together, it's going to require some Jesus-powered ministry that's going to get us there. Now, I, I would like you to just cast your mind back to when you were little, to when you were little, and when you first understood that trees grew from seeds. Can you remember that? Maybe your mum or dad was cutting up a piece of apple for you and, and they showed you the seeds. Uh, maybe you looked at strawberries and thought, my goodness, what an outrageous fruit. The seeds are on the outside. Complete exhibitionist fruit. Now, what did you do with that information? I reckon I know what you did. I reckon you, you took the seeds outside into the backyard, you dug a hole, you put all the seeds in together, you poured about 20 litres of water over it and then you were bitterly disappointed the next morning when there was not in your backyard 
a fully grown apple tree in its place. Did you do that? I'm sure you did. I remember I planted an avocado seed once. I thought, look at this big fella. I've got to be feeling lucky with this. And distraught the next morning when there was not a freshly minted avocado tree in our backyard. Boy, our parents were cruel, weren't they? Giving us such false hope. I like watching car shows where um, you know, people bring beautiful old cars back to life and almost to a person. Uh, all car people had dads who told them that if they poured uh, water over their Hot Wheels car, that's how they would grow a full-size car. Now, <laughs> it's so cruel, isn't it? And really it's cruel. I mean, that's cruel because it's untrue. But uh, really it's cruel because we all know that growth is slow. It's a longer process. Uh, if it is going to happen at all, it's not likely to happen overnight. And that's just as true as it is in our Christian development as in the world of apples and avocados and Chevy Camaros. And really that's what we see in the rest of our passage. But if you look very closely or listen carefully, you know that verse 7 signals a change in the direction of the thought. Okay, up to this point, it's been about a common task of living out the gospel together in unity. You would have noticed there in verses 4 to 6, the seven ones, one faith, one hope, all that sort of stuff. But in verse 7, the Apostle Paul darts off and he says, actually, you're each quite different. It moves from the idea of one, which is all about unity, to each, which is about difference. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We have a common purpose. Each of us have been graced or gifted differently to achieve this unity and grow in maturity. And to try and kind of prove his point, he, he, the apostle kind of puts in a, an odd little bracket where he quotes a victory song from Psalm 68 in the Old Testament. And he sort of sees that song fulfilled in the earthly descent of Jesus to ground level to us. But moreover, in his ascent from death back to the right hand of God, which precipitated the giving of spiritual gifts to his people, to each of us differently just as the victorious Christ has seen fit. Now, I reckon at this point, you're all probably a little bit underwhelmed, thinking, yep, that all sounds pretty normal. Work at unity, we're the body of Christ, each plays part, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Except that's not what he says. Did you notice that in verse 11? It's not what he says. He takes us into different territory there than he has across the rest of the New Testament by identifying word ministries specifically. Let, let's have a look at, at verse 11 quite carefully. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And then he doesn't talk about further gifts like the other passages in the New Testament do. He only mentions word ministry, the apostle, those few pillars of the early church who were companions and eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus and whose testimony has been preserved for us in the New Testament. And the prophets, which either refers to the Old Testament prophets whose message is preserved for us in the Old Testament or those early New Testament prophets who had a special word um, before the, the Bible was kind of uh, finalized. Now, these are two foundational groups of people, and now that our Bibles are complete, they just aren't apostles and prophets in the same sense anymore. So there's apostles, and there's prophets, and there's evangelists, those who bring the Word of God to uh, people who have not heard the Word of God before, and there's pastor teachers who keep bringing the Word of God to existing communities of 
uh, of believers. But they're all word ministries. My question to you is, why does he mention just word ministry? Is it because he thinks word ministers are more important, better value? Do you remember what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about his own ministry? Apostle Paul says, do you know what? I planted the seed, my brother Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. He doesn't mention word ministry because word ministers are any better. We are all nothing, all of us, in that sense. It's God who makes things grow. But he is saying that word ministry is foundational to how God will build us. And you will see that in how the rest of the paragraph unfolds. So read again with me from verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now actually, you see the point of mentioning word ministry in verse 11 is to show that we all need it to be prepared and shaped by the word of God into a servant people, ministering actively and humbly to those who cross our paths and who are in our midst. And unless we are shaped into that servant people, we will not be built up in unity and we will not reach maturity. Unity and maturity simply will not happen. So I don't draw attention to verse 11 to say, do you know what, guys? You all need me. I'm worth investing in. Because I'm nothing. Dispensable. Expendable. But I draw our attention to verse 11 to say we all need it you and me included, we need word ministry if we are to undertake our works of service, reach unity and grow to maturity in Christ. Now I think that if we all need it, then we ought to make the most of it, that is word ministry that occurs amongst us, don't you think? That seems a logical conclusion to me to draw, which is why we urge you to open your Bibles and read along during the Bible reading. That's not hard to do. Uh, and to, to read the verses during the sermon as I ask you to do that. Because I'd really like you to be ministered by that word itself rather than merely being entertained or bored by me or whomever is speaking. And I do think you would benefit from using those, uh, that page of sermon notes that's in your bulletin. And um, if you want to scribble down notes on your small group booklets, that'd be a good thing to do, or on your notebooks or on your phone, or whatever it is. I mean, even if you just wrote down a key verse, and you just wrote down the sermon points from the PowerPoint, I think that would benefit you. I really do. I would love you to join in small group life here. Frankly, I think we should call them growth groups. Uh, I think that would remind us that that's the point of studying Scripture together, isn't it? It's not about just chucking around a few Christian ideas, sharing a few opinions from what previous churches or ministers have said. It's about Christian growth. I think you should join one. And uh, if you can't do that, you can't join in a small group that meets in the same place at the same time every week for whatever reasons, then I think, uh, why don't you find a couple other people and form a gospel trio? I, I shared earlier in the term that um, the booklets for this, for this term have got um, a page for each week, three questions, three prayer points, 
that you could go through as a group of three, a trio, to let the word minister to you, to prepare you for service so you might reach unity and maturity. I just think we need to jump into some kind of midweek small group life so we can speak the truth to one another in love. So word ministry, I think it is foundational and we should make the most of it. But you know what? I also think it means some of us should be doing it. I mean, if verse 11 says the ascended Christ has apportioned gifts or graces to his people and he's given word ministers, including pastors and teachers. Doesn't that mean that some of us other than the paid professionals should be keen to teach the Bible or lead a small group? I think so. I don't say uh, this in any way to be kind of shamey or guilty, but like, I'm surprised there are more people who are just keen to teach younger ones the gospel. My goodness, what a privilege. Especially if the ascended Christ has given such foundational gifts to his church. I'm surprised there are more people who'd love to lead a small group, ministering the word to a smaller number of people. But you know what? It may well be that there are, and I just don't know about it yet. Uh, And so if you are interested, I hope that uh, in a moment, not right now, but in a moment, you'll take an opportunity to let us know with the sign up and serve form. If word ministry is foundational, we all need it, so let's make the most of it. But furthermore, some of us ought to put our shoulder to that wheel and do it amongst the body. If we're going to be prepared by that word for service so we can reach unity and ultimately maturity. But moreover, I think this passage means that all of us should take our place within this community of servants, humbly and actively serving as we are able to. And I look around, and like Cezanne, I can see hundreds of people who do that, for which I can only express my deep and sincere gratitude. So thank you. Thank you. rather pleasantly surprised that in the most recent church life survey one in three of you said you wanted to serve more at least that's what you wrote in an anonymous survey (laughs) well I'd love to take you up on that offer or that indication but I'd love all of us having been shaped and prepared by the gospel word that's ministered among us to serve in some way it might be for a small minority of us for age reasons health reasons family reasons you're just not able to serve beyond turning up each week well I don't want to make you feel guilty for what you can't do and I would love to encourage you to make the most of what you can give so be a giver in the time that you have amongst us seeking ways to build up and encourage others but most of us can serve more than just turning up week by week and we'll need to take that place so we can all grow I wonder if you noticed in this passage, it doesn't say if you don't serve, you won't grow. It's not doing the whole thing of you only get out what you put in. It actually says if you don't serve, I won't grow. And if I don't serve, you won't grow. That's why we've put together this sign up and serve booklet. And uh, I'm sure you've read it about five times now, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) and I'm looking forward to a very healthy response in just a few moments. I commend that, but I commend serving to you wholeheartedly. I really do. I'm conscious that uh, I'm a very fortunate chap, 
And uh, on our honeymoon, nearly 23 years ago, we uh, went to Fiji for about 10 days. Very common thing to do at that time, probably still is. I've never been back, but I'd love to. But um, at the first place we stayed there at Fiji, we took a little catamaran out to sail in front of the beach that we were staying in. Uh, and that was a lot of fun, just going back and forth through the blue waters, just back and forth. <laughs> uh, we moved to uh, another place, uh, second place to stay, and we thought we'd give the whole um, boating thing another go. But they didn't have little catamarans. They kind of had these, um, I think they were basically bathtubs with a sail in them, looked like this. Nowhere near as nimble or as stable. And so we took one of those out, and uh, we'd get pushed out to sea in one direction, and then we'd try to turn around, nearly capsize, and then we'd get pushed out to sea in another direction try to turn around, nearly capsize, and further out in (laughs) another direction. And I think that happened for about a half hour or so before the island staff stopped laughing at us from the shore and decided they should recover their investment in their bathtub boats and maybe collect us as well. We were novice sailors. We were getting blown about all over the place by the wind. Now, I reckon the Apostle Paul would have had another word for us, another name for us, infants. Boating babies. And in the final part of this passage this morning, that's the picture he paints of people who neglect the ministry of the word and serving one another. Have a look at verse 14. Spiritual infants, big babies, immature, and ever blown in different directions by a general culture that is opposed to God and by the specific heresies of false teachers who are alive and well today, more available than ever via direct download from the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. An awful lot is at stake, friends, if we refuse to grow together under the ministry of the word and the service of one another. But, you know, always keen to finish on the positive. The Apostle Paul paints a picture, another picture of what it looks like if we let the word do its work among us shaping us for humble service. And verse 15 makes an extraordinary claim that we will in all things grow up into Christ. What a lofty aim that is. In every respect, we can grow in our Christ-likeness together. If we minister the word to one another and then serve one another, we will, says verse 16, grow and build ourselves up in love. On the one hand is a picture of a little boat full of big babies blown here and there by every whim and wind of untruth. On the other hand, we see a strong and growing body joined and held together by all its constituent parts, increasingly resembling our head, who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The former picture is frightening. But the latter picture is just a little bit exciting. But it does require, verse 16, each part to do its work. And that each in verse 16 matches the each of verse 7, forming very neat little bookends to remind us that if we are to grow, we will grow better together. Now, friends, I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer in a couple of minutes' time. Uh, Before then, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes um, to fill out your sign-up and serve document. If you haven't already done that during the sermon, you cheeky things. 
There's a pencil in the chair uh, in front of you. And if you could just write your, your details down. And as Sazon said, it's really just an indication of interest. Okay, you're not committing to anything at this stage. Have a read through. If there's stuff you're interested in, please let us know. You've got a couple of minutes to do that before I lead us in a closing prayer.